Amen. Well, for uh, those of you who don't know me, I'm Stephen Ellison. I'm the pastoral assistant over youth ministry. Um, we've been here for five months or so now, which seems kind of crazy. It's flown by a little bit. And when I say me, I mean uh, my, myself, my wife, Macy, uh, no kids yet, but our little dog, Cusco. Uh, Cusco is a Chawini, which means he's part Chihuahua and part Dachshund, uh, which really means he's, he's really just a fat Chihuahua is what you should picture. And uh, he's a very good dog. He's a very sweet dog. My wife wanted to make sure that I told you that before I tell you everything else I'm about to say. Uh, very sweet dog, but he's a very good communicator. And by that, I mean he'll tell you exactly what he wants pretty much all the time. And he's found really incredible ways to do that. So whenever my wife is making dinner, he's usually not far uh, barking at her because the smell of dinner reminds him that it's time for his dinner. Uh, he's discovered that, you know, the, like the little spring door stops behind your front door. He's discovered that he can hit those and they'll make a sound that lets us know it's time for him to go to the bathroom. Um, and probably the most frustrating one is in the middle of the night, he's a little dog, so he gets cold. And despite my many protests, he sleeps in the bed with us. Um, and somewhere around 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, three or four days a week, he walks up to me with my head pulled up under the covers, and he wants to let me know I'm cold and I would like to be under the covers also. And the way he does that is he walks up to my head in the middle of the night and goes... And it's the most frustrating thing in the world. And he's got these claws, and it hurts. He's not soft with it. It's the worst way to wake up. And so, of course, at 2 o'clock in the morning, when I'm, like, trying to sleep and he does that, I'm not waking up graciously. So I'm like, no, go away. And he patiently stands by my head, and he waits. And a few seconds later, and so you get a little bit frustrated, and you, like, kind of reach out from under the covers and kind of stiff arm him and tell him to go away. But he boldly comes forward again. He sits by my head and lets out a little bit of a whine. And, and it's at that point I kind of realize I'm not going to get any sleep by ignoring him. And as much as I want to prove the fact that my 20-pound dog cannot bully me, he, he can. So at some point I realize I'm going to get more sleep if I just like pick up the covers and let him go under sleep. And that's what happened. So I lift up the, the blankets. He goes under. He does a little circle. He falls asleep in my arm. And we all go back to sleep. Here's like the deep philosophical question of my dog. Why does he do that? Because it works, right? He's figured out a path of something that makes sense and it's effective. I mean, to be honest, how many of you have done that to your parents when you were growing up? Or parents, how many of you have experienced your kids doing that to you this week, right? Why do they do it? Because it's effective. Because it works. Now, all on its own... Just because something's effective doesn't necessarily mean it's the right motivation for doing something, right? To annoy somebody is maybe not the best motive for uh, how to go about your request towards them. Which is so strange because that's exactly how Jesus describes to us in Scripture uh, an attitude that our prayer should be like. Oddly enough, Jesus teaches us to be persistent in prayer 
through illustrations of people who are coming in an annoying way to people over them to make their request. We're going to see this in a couple of different ways. It's a strange teaching, but it's actually reiterated through Scripture. So we're going to be in uh, Luke 18, where we read earlier. We're going to spend a lot of our time there. And, And just so you know, as we kind of read this, it's a pretty straightforward passage. Uh, Jesus tells you at the very beginning what you're supposed to take away from this thing. It's a one-point sermon. Uh, but because it's such an odd teaching and because we could misunderstand it, we're going to kind of look at it in different uh, spheres. We're going to start by looking at what this passage says. And the first question is going to be like, what, what is the point of this passage? Once we discover that, we're going to be able to move on and, and look at, well, what's the theme of this and the rest of the Gospels? Is, is this taught again? And once we go beyond that, we're going to look at scriptural teaching uh, throughout the rest of the Bible about what prayer really is and how that qualifies this promise to help us understand what this really means for us. So with that being said, let's jump in again, and I'm going to read Matthew 18, 1 through 8, like was just read here for us. Starting in verse 1, it says, Then he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. And he said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in the city who kept coming to him, saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he'll give, them, he'll give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So, so this is uh, a, a fairly straightforward story, a parable that Jesus tells. In a random city somewhere, there's these two characters. The first is... This unjust judge, right? He neither neither cares for God nor man. Which, by the way, this judge is the judge over, like, what? The law. And Jesus sums up the law as loving God and loving people. So the judge is going 0 for 2 on his two requirements for a job, right? He doesn't care about people. He doesn't care about God. He cares about what he can receive through this position, right? We... We, we've seen people in positions of honor who are not there for really honorable reasons, right? And that's what he's there for. And yet, he's actually not even hiding it. This is his character. This is not just an isolated story. This is who he is. This is what motivates him. Selfish desires to be able to take advantage of people who are coming to him trying to seek justice from other people who have taken advantage of them. He, he wants bribes. He wants extra gifts. He wants selfish gain. And then there's this widow. And this widow uh, is really the prime example in Scripture of a vulnerable person. Uh, Somebody without much income, without provision, without somebody to stand up for her. She has very little voice. Uh, And this time, right, you you don't have a public defender in the courtroom. You've got to represent yourself. And in this time, women weren't really uh, allowed to speak on behalf of themselves. Or if they did, it wasn't really listened to very well in the court. So she has nobody to stand up for her, and so she goes to this judge just hoping, seek, you know, just pleading that he would see what is just here and act on it. And the problem is, of course, that he doesn't. 
He has no care for this. This woman can do nothing for him, so uh, it's not worth his time. And yet, she's got the one weapon that every vulnerable person has in a relationship with somebody that's over them. She can use her persistence. So what does she do? She keeps coming and asking and asking and asking. And eventually, the judge, who has his own priorities, right? He doesn't want to give in. He doesn't want to set an example that says that you don't actually have to bribe me to get what you want. But over time, his desire for peace in his own life outweighs his desire to continue to be a bad judge, right? He desires to have this woman leave him alone. So what does he, what does he do? He gives her what she wants. And Jesus is pretty straightforward on what the teaching is. He says, so if that's what an unjust judge does, how much more likely do you think your God is willing to give you what you ask for when you come to him persistently? The lesson is not um, God is going to give in to you if you annoy him, right? The, the, the lesson is not that God is just like the unjust judge. The, the lesson is, is actually God is the exact opposite of this unjust judge. If even this unjust judge who is selfish and all about his own needs and is unkind, is unjust, if even he, even he will do what's right, why don't you look at God who never sins, never fails, is always just, cares about what you go through, don't you think he'll respond the right way? If, even if somebody else who doesn't have the right heart responds in the right way, even if for the wrong reasons, don't you think a good God will respond to you? Don't you think he'll hear you? It's a question of, of character, right? So, so we'll kind of put this on a scale, right? If we've got this character scale, on the one end we have the unjust judge. He is motivated purely by selfishness, annoyance, and self-gain. And yet, when somebody comes and asks him persistently for something, the result is he gives it to him. Move up the scale a little bit. You have me with my dog who annoys me. And though I love my dog, in the moment, I'm not thinking about that. And my grogginess at 2 o'clock in the morning, I forget all about that. And I just want to let him under the covers because he's annoying me, right? So he, he bothers me. And, and what's the result? He gets what he asks for. You move on down the scale, and I think we get to the example of what probably most of us experience. I think of growing up and um, whenever we would stay with my grandparents, uh, my grandfather would take us to the gas station to get what he called junk. It was just candy, soda, right? Um, which we loved. But on the rare occasion that he decided not to provide us with junk, we protested, right? We were upset. Uh, and we knew that our grandfather loved us a lot. My grandfather was, is a very straightforward man, uh, but uh, we knew how much he cared about us. Uh, he always made that apparent. So we'd say, can you please take us by the store and get us some junk? And he'd be like, no, we're not going by there today. Very straightforward. So we'd wait a few minutes. Please, will you take us? It's just right down the road. We know it's just right out there. Will you please take us? No, I already told you no. We're not going to do that. Strong as it could be. So we'd ask again. Please, will you take us? All right, fine, fine. Get in the truck. Let's go, let's go. And, and it's... We always, like the third time was always the charm. And we knew that. And we knew that, like, was he motivated because we were annoying him? Sure, yeah. But there's also something about a parent, a grandparent, or, or anybody. When somebody that you love, somebody that you look out for, somebody that you care for, continues to bring a request to you, 
asking for you to provide to them, that melts your heart a little bit, right? It does something that matters. So we knew that, yeah, he would get a little annoyed, but we also knew that he loved us deeply, and if we kept going, he'd probably give in, right? That's what happened. So, so here, here's the scale. You, you have an unjust judge way on the bottom end of the, 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 the character scale, totally motivated by the wrong reasons, but persistence in requesting equals the request being granted. My dog annoys me, but he continues to persist, and it results in... His request being granted. We continue to ask our grandfather for junk. And eventually, our persistence resulted in our request being granted. If all along the scale, the motives change, the character of the person responding changes, but the results never do, what do you think is going to happen when you get to the very end of the scale, above the scale, when you get to a holy God who cares about you, who desires you, who has said he wants you to seek him? What do you think is going to happen when you ask that God persistently what happens? If the results have been the same all along the way, what do you think happens when you get to a righteous judge? He grants your request. This is one of those things that, like, I don't know, it's not a shocking truth on the front end, that we should be persistent in prayer for most of us, but it's one that we so often forget. And Scripture says this constantly, that we're supposed to be doing this, right? So you can go to Romans 12, 12. What does it say? Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. We can go down to 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is consistent throughout Scripture. If you're discouraged... Because you've prayed for God to remove your anger or your pride or your lust. And it feels like it hasn't come through yet. You're supposed to continue on knowing that God desires repentance for you. Desires for you to grow in his will and and the knowledge of him and the love of him. And he wants you to look more like his son as life goes on. Continue in prayer. If, if you've gotten to this point where you've prayed for years for that child who is openly rebellious or for that family member who refuses to come to know Christ, even though you plead with them constantly, don't give up on that. Continue on. Lean in. Continue to ask your God for these things. If you get to the point where you're tired of praying for that thing in your marriage that feels like a, a hindrance and it has been for 10, 20, 30 years, don't give up on that. Continue to pray for your spouse. Continue to pray for yourself. Continue to pray for your relationship, which God says is supposed to be a mirror image of how Christ loves the church and and shares his glory with the world. As we kind of go through these things, remember, we can trust that God will do good things for his glory through us. We should be persistent in these prayers. We should believe that he'll listen. We should believe that when we pray that, man, even for things like, man, that that, that anxiety that we feel, that that fear that we feel, that that those seasons of depression that we go through, where we recognize even some of those weaknesses God has used in our lives to make us more dependent on him and he's used for a good thing. Man, keep praying. Keep praying that God would use that. Keep praying that, that, that if it be his will, he would take that away. Or if not, he would use it for good in your life. Now listen, this is hard to do though, right? And it's not just hard because we get discouraged sometimes, though that's one of the main reasons why it's hard. But it's also hard to stay disciplined in these things, right? 
It's, it's hard to have the same weight on your heart for the same subject day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. Even the things that are the highest priorities in our lives, we, they seem to slip our minds in prayer after a while. All of a sudden, we care a little bit less about this thing because it's not as urgent or it's not as drastic and we fall off. It's a lot easier to start good habits in prayer than it is to, to follow through with them, right? It's like a New Year's resolution. You get really excited about it. When something happens or you know, maybe you're going through a really difficult season, it's really easy to pray then, or at least it's easier. But it's when things get mundane and we continue on and we don't see results right away. Maybe we still have faith that God will work, but, but you know, it, other things in life pop up and, and things distract us. And, and you know, that pain seems to dull itself out a little bit with time. And we leave off on prayer. Now, there's a discipline that's needed in this. There's a recognition that we need to continue to come before the Father and we need to be disciplined to cultivate that desire to seek His provision in those things. You know, honestly, I'm convinced that some of the secrets of like some of these like incredible athletes out there, these people are incredibly self-disciplined and they continue to go in there and, and work very hard behind the scenes and, and it's hard to get to a level of a professional athlete without doing that. But here's the secret that I think most of them don't tell you, but I think it's probably true for them. I think most of them love the weight room. I, I, I think they actually really enjoy practice. I, now, they may not say that, or in a, and obviously there's going to be days where it's hard to show up, or you don't want to get out of bed for that early practice or that early workout or, or whatever else. But I think for a lot of these guys, once they get out there and once they do it, they love thriving in the sport that they've given their lives to. Self-discipline is easier when we love what we're disciplined to do. Is your prayer life that way? Do you think about what an honor and what a privilege it is that you, a, a sinful person, can come before the throne of God Almighty to make your request known to Him, not just once, but you can be bold enough to do that time after time after time. You can march yourself into the throne room of God, stand before Him, and to make the same request over and over to the point that it might seem annoying, and He welcomes that. Do you realize how scandalous that is? How amazing that is? How astonishing that is? If we did, I think we would learn to love it a little bit more. Take time to reflect on what you're actually doing in prayer because what prayer is matters. And our recognition of what prayer is will drive our emotions towards it. This is, this is a little bit of a different teaching, right? Annoy God. It sounds strange. I understand that. But, but, but it's not actually like, this is not the only place that we see it in Scripture. If we move to our second point here, our second point is, this is actually a theme throughout the Gospels. What's this theme throughout the Gospels when it comes to prayer? Flip back in your Bibles a couple pages with me. Go to Luke chapter 11. We're going to find an incredibly similar story. Luke 11, we're going to start in verse 4. It says this, I'm sorry, verse 5, forgive me. It says this, And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he'll answer him from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are in bed with me. I cannot get up to give you anything. I tell you the truth, 
though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. It's a similar story, right? It's, it's a similar illustration of somebody who is in need, in desperate need. We're finding ourselves in another random village with another two characters. There's this first guy who has had a traveler from far away come to him. And this traveler uh, is weary. And again, man, these are ancient times. Maybe this guy knew he was coming. Maybe he didn't know what time he would arrive. The communication's not going to be exact, right? And hospitality is a huge deal in ancient cultures. To be able to provide for somebody that had shown up to your house, if, if you can't do that, what an embarrassment, right? So, so this guy feels like this is urgent. So he realizes he has nothing to feed these people who have been on a long journey all day. But he's like, oh, yeah, I know, I know that, that, that Jim down the street, I know that, that he has something, or I bet he does. I, I, bet, I bet he'd help me out. So he goes to his buddy down the street, and he knocks on the door. Hey, Jim. Hey, Jim. I, man, I'm really in trouble. I, I really need some help. I, I, really, I really need you to step up. You got any bread? I've got these guys. They've showed up out of nowhere. I don't know what to do. It's going to be super embarrassing. Can you help me? And Jim, who is his friend, says, no, I, I, I'm not getting up. Jim is in his one-bedroom house where his entire family is on a cot in the corner of the room. And there is this gigantic bar there to keep intruders out. And Jim looks around at his family and he sees little Bobby and Tommy and Willie and Abinadab and, you know, whoever else is in there. And, and he says, no, I'm not, I'm not getting up and disturbing everybody for you, for your poor planning. So he says, no, go away. What a friend, right? But, but what, what does he do? Man, listen, I'm really in trouble. I really need your help. Please step up. Come on, I really need you. Please. Continues to ignore him. Come on, Jim. I, just this one time, please. It's not going to take you that long. Just stand up. Just open the door. Well, I'll be gone before you know it. Please. Jesus says, not because this guy is his friend, but because of his impudence, it says. Uh, that word means boldness. Uh, bold, uh, or boldness. It, it means uh, um, shamelessness. Because of his shameless boldness. That man will come up and help him. What's the point? What's the application? It's the same thing as before, right? Though this guy, who is a friend to this man, in that moment, he doesn't care about their relationship. He doesn't care about his friend's needs. What does he care about? He cares about going back to sleep, and he realizes that he's going to go back to sleep more quickly if he just gives this guy what he wants and gets out of town, right? So that, that's, that's his motivation, but if that's the motivation of the guy that doesn't care about this relationship in the moment, if that's the motivation of the guy that doesn't care about this man's needs in the moment, what do you think the result's going to be when you go to a God who deeply cares about his relationship with you? What do you think is going to be the result for you when you go to a God who deeply cares about your needs and what's going on in your life? It's not that these are the exact same situation. It's that God is infinitely better than the people in these illustrations. And if even these people with impure motives and sinful hearts, if even they do the right things, how much more can you trust your God to do the right thing when he always does? It's a, it's a matter of trust. It's a matter of faith. Even when we left off in Luke 18, right? Luke 18 finishes with this question, but will the Son of Man find faith? When he returns, what, what, what's he saying? All right? So that passage is, is tied to Jesus' promises about what's going to happen before his return. But, but here's what I want you to see with that. What is persistence in prayer directly tied to? Faith. 
persistence in prayer is a sign that our faith is legitimate. It says, despite what I see, despite what I feel in the moment, I trust that the character of God is exactly as he said it would be. And that even if I interpret what I'm seeing wrongly, I know that he's still right. Even if he's silent in this moment and I will continue to ask because I trust him. It's what faith does for us. That's what faith expresses in the moment when we consistently pray. It says, I trust his character. There's something about that, about persistence in our faith being worked out and shown to God that that he loves. There's something that God enjoys about seeing us come to him time and time again to show that we really trust him above all else. He wants us to keep asking. And again, so let's go back to 11. Jesus fleshes this out with a little bit more teaching, starting in verse 9. He says, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who seek after Him? We are motivated by selfish desires constantly, and yet, man, this capacity for love and provision is still evident with us all the time and how we treat those we love and within our families, with even those who just annoy us. Can't we trust that God will do the same thing? And look at this, ask, seek, knock. Uh, it, it, man, it, it, these, are, these verbs are meant to be continuous, right? Uh, other versions, NLT will say, keep knocking, keep asking, keep seeking. They're supposed to be continuous actions that show that our faith is there so that we're continuing to seek after God and, and the rewards are there promised. Man, if you keep seeking after God, if you're somebody that says, you know, I want to believe, I just don't know that I can, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, keep leaning in. Keep offering up your prayers to say, God, show me who you are. I want to believe. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lean into him. Lean in and ask. For, because for some reason, God, who is sovereign in all things, has planned out the details of our lives in, in a very delicate way. And he cares about all that, go, that you go through. He's planned what you go through. The details of your life are not an accident, and he knows it. And yet... In his great plan, he's worked it out in such a way that when you ask him for things, that matters. The sovereign God of all the universe who has this great plan for all that happens, in his plan has worked it out so that when you ask, he hears and it makes a difference in what happens. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes as an appeal to God's sovereignty, we almost make that as a reason why we shouldn't continue to pray or ask because God's going to do what he thinks is best anyway. Or maybe we offer up half-hearted prayers of like, God, I would really like you to do this, but I know you're going to do whatever is in your will. And while we should have a recognition that we should bow to the will of God, we'll talk more about that later, what we first need is a faith that knows that our Father hears us and that matters. He responds. Because he cares about you. Because he loves you. But what sort of things should we be expecting as we pray? Jesus says that children are dependent on their parents to give them good food and nourishment. And if they do that, a parent's not going to give them something that's poisonous instead. 
If even sinful people do what's right here, how much more should we expect our God to do this? And again, this is not the only place. Flip back a number of pages. Uh, I don't know, 12 pages in your Bible or so. Go Go to Mark 10. Not too far. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 46. This is not a teaching. It's not an illustration. This is an example of Jesus doing this himself for somebody else. Mark 10, starting in verse 46, says, And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples uh, and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. See how the crowd changes their emotion right there, right? And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Right? This is not an illustration. It's not a parable. This is actually somebody coming to God in the flesh and doing this, and we get to see the results in real time. Here's Bartimaeus, a man who cannot see, and when he hears that Jesus is coming down the road, he shouts and cries out, Lord God, have mercy on me. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And when he does, what? Right? It annoys everybody around him. Everybody is telling him to be quiet. We're trying to listen to what he has to say. Shh, shh. And in his mind... He's got the option of either trying to please those who are around him or or seek after God. And it seems like it's not even a question for him, right? What's he going to do? He's going to continue to ask, continue to seek, continue to cry out, regardless of the fact that somebody around him may not like it. So he continues asking, Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus stops, calls him near, says, what can I do for you? He says, says, teacher, I want to receive my sight. And what does Jesus say? Your faith has made you well. There it is again. There's that tie between faith and persistence. How do we know that the man has faith? Because he's persistently asking, calling out, despite what it costs him. Despite that others may make fun of him or or he feels disheartened, he continues to cry out. And the man's asking for physical healing, and he gets that, but he gets even more than that, right? He gets spiritual healing. We know that because he goes up and follows after him. This is the example that our God gives us. What happens when we continue to ask him over and over for these things? He responds. Don't give up in your prayer. It's the same principle. Listen, the point here is in each of these stories that we read, they're all coming from different contexts, right? The first story comes right after Jesus is telling his disciples to pray and be ready for his second coming. In Luke 11, this is coming right after Luke's example of uh, what, uh, the Lord's Prayer. His disciples ask him, how should we pray? And this is an example. This is somebody seeking healing. These are all very dis- different contexts, but the prescription is still the same. Pray with perseverance. Come continuously before God. So you may say, yeah, 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 but my, my, my situation is different than the ones that we've talked about. Well, it's kind of the point. The situations may be different, but the prescription isn't. 
keep asking and expect in faith to have God move. You should be expecting that He will do something. Unless, here's our big turn, unless our prayers are not really the prayers that God has said He he wants to honor, are not real prayers. Here's where I want to be really careful, because in the stories that we've read, Jesus has made no qualification to these promises. And I have zero desire to walk back any promise that Christ has made. I, I, I want you to feel the weight of these unqualified statements that are beautiful and are meant for your uplifting, that are supposed to give you courage and are supposed to give you faith. And at the same time, I want us to be careful to understand what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about prayer. How does Scripture define prayer? What are we supposed to be praying for? What's our heart attitude supposed to be when we seek these things? Because if not, we're going to end up praying for selfish things and become frustrated with God when we don't receive exactly when we want, when that's not what his promise was about in the first place. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to move and we're going to transition to spiritual or uh, uh, scriptural qualifications that help us not go too far with this passage, that keep us out of the weeds of what a prosperity gospel would teach, that would t- keep us out of the weeds uh, of what health and wealth promises would say and keep us in what the Bible promises. So we're going to move here to a few different examples of this question of what biblical qualifications keep us from taking this too far. And we, we've got a few. So first, let's say that um, this is true for us if we're asking in faith. So what, is, uh, what, do we, what do we have in, in James 1, 5 through 8? It says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person not, must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. We've talked about this repeatedly. Persistence in prayer is an expression of faith. These things are quickly tied together. The faith that comes without prayer is not real prayer. It's, It's not coming before your Father, seeking an expectation, understanding His character, because it's just words that you don't actually expect to have any power behind them. It's not the prayer that you should expect to be answered. Faith is the prerequisite here. To be able to trust that this is who God is. He is the one that cares for you. He's the one that's provided for you. You have all the evidence that you need in that, in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you on the cross. Therefore, you can believe that if he's given you that, how much more will he not give you all things? Secondly, this is true for us if we're not asking selfishly. James 4, 4, 2 through 4 says... You do not have because you don't ask. And you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? What's James saying here? Prayer that's spent on us is missing the mark of what prayer is supposed to be. Prayer is supposed to connect you with God, His desires and His will and what He defines as good. Because what God says is good is ultimately what's good. His definition is what reality is. So if we're praying for what God's desires are, if we're we're praying for Him, that means that we're aligning ourselves with His will. But if we're praying selfishly, it's not what prayer was meant to be in the first place. This type of prayer is actually siding ourselves more with the world than it's siding ourselves with God. 
That's why he says, that's a bold statement. You adulterous people, you're praying too selfishly. That's, that's a big statement. Why? Because you're asking God, hey God, please give me things that I'll trust in more than you. That's not the heart of faith. That's not a heart of prayer that really seeks after God. Our prayers shouldn't be selfishly motivated. They're not just for health and wealth. They're they're for what is ultimately best. And we as believers say that we know that what's ultimately best is God, His Son, and His glory. That's where our prayer should be geared towards. Third, this is true for us if we're asking according to the will of God. 1 John 5, 14 through 15, and it says, And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we've asked of him. This verse has been an encouragement to me, right? Because we can look at what Scripture says is God's will for our lives, and we can pray for those things. Have you been asking that God would set you free from, from that struggle of, of, of gossip or overeating or, or, or those, those, those harsh words that you give to your kids, those things that you run to when you feel overwhelmed and you need some kind of source of power or control in your life? Have you been praying that God would deliver you from those things? Man, it's certainly the will of God that he would transform you more into the image of your son to free you from sin because that's why he sent his son in the first place, right? Have you been praying that God would help you grow and mature as a believer? Are you frustrated with where you are because you continue to fail in the same ways or or you continue to see the same immature habits and you're praying and you're saying, God, let me out of this. God, I want to move on in my faith. I I want to step into a place where I can help others, maybe even in a leadership position in your church, but, but I continue to feel held back because I keep stepping in these same holes. Keep praying. That's what the point of sanctification is, that God would transform you through time. Have you been struggling in your passion for God? Have you gotten to the point where prayer seems hard and church doesn't seem interesting anymore and Bible reading seems painful and so you know that's a problem, but, 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 but somewhere deep inside all you know to do is just to let up these, these short, small prayers. God, please help me to care about you more. Please help me to want to be with you. And it feels like that's all that you can get out. Don't give up on those. Keep going with those prayers. Because God's desire is certainly to build a desire in you for him. Now listen, this is is where I think we can take this verse and almost wipe out everything that we talked about, about praying with faith and excitement before. Because here's the loophole. The loophole that we can get into is saying, yeah, 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 I I pray with faith. I know that God can do these things, but it may not be his will, so I'm not going to expect much, right? Which there's a place that we should be able to be humble and say, I'm going to pray for something, and I don't know if this is the will of God, and however he responds is good, and that's fine. But, But there's this loophole that almost is a spiritual reason to mitigate our faith. That's not the purpose of this. What's it? We have biblical examples of people who are praying with great faith and yet are acknowledging that they may, may be mistaken about what the will of God is. And they say, even if I'm mistaken about this, it's not going to shake my faith. Let's look at the, at the book of Daniel. Uh, we get to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they've been told, hey, unless you bow down and worship this statue, that you're going to be put to death. The king is telling them this. And they look at the king and say, 
I don't think so. <laughs> what a bold statement. Here's what they say. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning uh, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. He will, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Look at the confidence there. There's like where the sentence changes, it's crazy. There is both great confidence and he will deliver us out of our hands. But if not, and the but if not is followed by it's not going to shake our faith. Because we know that whatever God decides to do here is best and that is better for us to follow him even to the places of painfulness than it is to give up on being faithful to him in return. It's worth it. This is an example of what our prayer should be like. You can pray boldly, expecting God to do great things. It's a bold thing to look at the king who says, I'm about to put you to death and say, nope, I don't think so. Our God's got this. And at the same time say, and it's possible that I don't understand exactly what his will is. He's a good father. Whatever he provides is best, and I'm okay with that. And lastly, we need to understand that last point, that God is a good father. And he does what a good father does. So when we pray, go back with that confidence and remember, if we ask for a fish, he's not giving you a snake. If you ask for something good, he's not going to give you something bad in return. A good father is a caregiver. He's not a genie. He cares about your requests and the ones that you make, and he's going to give you what's best for you. There's a difference between your prayer list and your wish list for Santa, and the difference is that you're not at the center of it. He is. So if you're at this point where you're praying and you're saying, man, I just want faith like this because what's the thing in Luke 11 that God says, hey, this is the thing that he provides for those that ask? His Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit to enlighten our eyes, to see who Jesus is, to see ourselves in the right light, to understand our sin and our need for a Savior and to run to that Savior. He puts something in us that's going to be accomplishing this sanctification that helps us to push off sin as we go through life. He's giving us this promise of him dwelling inside of us and being with us and being reconciled to us as our father. This is the promise that we have in God. This is the promise that he gives us and that we know that if we come to faith in Jesus, seeking his spirit, that promise is going to be made to us. Many of you in here, and I want to be careful here, if you're somebody here that, that, that says, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus because I, I prayed a prayer when I was six. Remember, these types of prayer are distinctly tied to what? Faith. Faith is what we receive this gift of grace through. If your prayer is made without faith, you're not saved by magic words. You're not saved by an action that you did. You're saved by faith, and that can be evidenced through prayer. So... If you're somebody that doesn't know Christ in here today and you're like, I want to, but I don't know what to do. Pray in faith that he provides that for you. Because he does. He answers that prayer. As we wrap up, just just please remember, be, be bold, be shameless in your prayer. Not because your God doesn't care, but because he cares for you very much. Jesus, at the same time, will teach, don't heap up empty words in prayer. And so you may feel like that's the exact opposite of what we're talking about now, but it's not. Because here's the deal. Here's the question that we have to wrestle with. I realize that I am a sinner and I am deeply undeserving of asking God for anything. In fact, I deserve his judgment. I deserve his wrath. Why do I feel like I can come before the throne room of God and ask him anything, much less continue to come before him and annoy him and to ask him all these things to the point where it seems frustrating? 
Why can I do that? Because of Christ. Because Christ has taken away your sin and God no longer sees his enemy before him, but he sees someone like his son. God never grows annoyed with his children. He always wants them before his presence. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word and thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for your grace. God, help us to be bold in prayer. Help us to remember who you are and help us let that be the faith that drives us in our prayer. God, help our prayers not to be selfish, but help them to seek to exalt your glory in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And when we pray, help us to be encouraged that you do act. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.